From ESPN Films and ESPN Audio, you're listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. My name is Jody Avergan. Welcome to the third season of 30 for 30. This time, we're trying something new. Our entire season is devoted to one story told over five episodes by our producer, Julia Lowry Henderson. It's the story of Bikram Yoga, one of the most popular forms of yoga in America and a fitness craze that at one point had hundreds of thousands of devotees, Julia among them. But the community is now grappling with its own identity and survival in the wake of sexual assault allegations against its charismatic guru and founder, Bikram Chowdhury. The roots of Chowdhury's behavior can be traced back for decades. And that's the story of this season coming up after the break. A word of warning, this season contains mature language and subject matters. The man who shaped up more celebrity bodies than any exercise instructor. He is Los Angeles' most prominent yoga master to the stars and three times served as national yoga champion of India. Would you welcome Bikram Chaudhary. Half a billion people has been benefited directly, indirectly, from Bikram yoga around the globe. I mean, he's created a yoga that has healed and helped tens of thousands of people at minimum, and that has hurt and destroyed thousands of lives. And there's no arguing with either sides of those coins. This is Bikram. I'm Julia Lowry Henderson. Part one, Arrival. Yoga is supposed to be about balance and karma. It's supposed to offer enlightenment. It's supposed to be peaceful and healing. And then there's Bikram yoga. Bikram yoga is suffering. For 90 minutes in a room heated to 105 degrees, you perform a sequence, 26 postures and two breathing exercises, a sequence created by Bikram Chowdhury to push you to the limits of what you can endure, to make you desperate for air and water and relief. And yet, despite or maybe because of that suffering, millions of people have been drawn to Bikram yoga. NFL players, Hollywood actors, dancers, doctors, moms, dads, grandmothers, grandfathers, me, I did it. I practiced this yoga every day for years, contorting myself into poses like standing head to knee and balancing stick, sweat dripping off my nose, into my hair, my body aching. For a few years, I managed a Bikram studio in New York City. This was my life. That was before, though, back when Bikram was just an incredible workout, a wildly popular new take on yoga, when there didn't seem to be any particular need to think too long or too hard about who Bikram Chowdhury really was or how he'd gotten here, before any of us were forced to think about what we might have missed along the way and how Bikram brought this community to this moment where everything has turned upside down. Bikram Chowdhury was in his 20s when he arrived in California in the early 1970s. He had already created his series of yoga postures, 
he had also already come to understand his life's two great ambitions. First, to become wildly, massively successful. And second, to bring his yoga to as many people as humanly possible. I had had polio when I was 11 years old, and I thought I got out scot-free, but in my mid-20s, everything began to fall apart in my spine. And by my mid-30s, even chiropractors couldn't help me. In 1974, Bonnie Jones Reynolds was married to Gene Reynolds, the producer of the television show MASH. Loretta Swit, Hot Lips Houlihan, came to dinner, and uh, Loretta was so excited. She had been to a, uh, a class with Bikram, and she was just absolutely bubbling over with enthusiasm. She was standing up and doing poses for us and, and um, you know, urging us, please, please, to go to Bikram. And so I walked into the class, and, and Shirley MacLaine was in front of me, and I kind of hid behind her. And he started the class, and all of a sudden he said, Who that? Who that? Hiding behind Shirley. Come out here. Oh, look that junk body. Oh, look that junk body. He said, You. He said, What's the matter with you? And I told him about my neck. He said, You come to me every day for two months. I give you new life. I said, You promise? He said, I promise. And he did. He was just the mo- one of the most beautiful people who ever lived on this earth. Young Bikram often drew comparisons to Paul Anka. I think what people mean when they say that is he was handsome, in a clean-cut kind of way. His hair was well-coiffed, with a deep side part in the kind of ear-hugging, page-boy-esque style of the day. He had the most incredible physique. Bikram was cut. He's small, he's only about 5'6", but he was very muscular, and he spent most of his time in a little black Speedo. I don't like anything hanging. Just stop more. You don't like to? Women sometimes like something hanging. The man doesn't. Vikram was so much fun. He was so charismatic and entertaining. Jimmy Barkin was an actor straight out of college trying to make it in Hollywood when he first stepped into Vikram's studio. His passion and his joy for life was infectious, and that's what made him famous. That and the clientele he attracted at his Beverly Hills yoga studio. Back then, he had every celebrity you can imagine. He was known as the yoga master to the stars. Every morning I did class with Raquel Welch, Quincy Jones, Martin Sheen, Candace Bergen. From the beginning, Bikram seemed to understand just how important his proximity to celebrity was to his success. I was telling Merv about Karim Abdul-Jabbar coming to class, and he is Wait, like he, Everybody thinks he's the best athlete in the world. Yes. In my class, he's, he's the, the worst. worst student I ever had in my life. <laughs> Karim Abdul-Jabbar was there, John McEnroe, and most important for Bikram, the Academy Award-winning actress Shirley MacLaine. He's very, very disciplined and very, very kind and uh, very, very discerning. And his eye is extremely adept at detail, particularly physical, but also mental. And uh, (laughs) he never stops talking. Shirley MacLaine saw something in Bikram, and she opened her life and her Rolodex to him. Shirley McLean was really the one that put him on the map. She paved the way not just for Bikram to meet and teach celebrities, but to become one himself. First day I came here, she put me Johnny Carson show. I don't know who is Johnny. 
everywhere, every magazine, every magazine, I'm the cover page, first day from Time, Life, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, too. you name it, everywhere. Shirley helped translate the Indian yogi into terms that would make more sense to American ears. When he first came to the United States, he was very naive, he was very sweet, passionate, and childlike. He didn't even charge people for classes. He, have, you, put, you can put a little donation underneath this chair, and he, at the end of the night he'd come and see how much money he would make. And Shirley said, no, in America you've got to actually charge people. She was the only one that can control Bikram. Bikram would be like a puppy dog when it came to Shirley McLean. Hollywood loved Bikram for his celebrity connections, but it also loved his story, a rags-to-riches fable about a poor boy from India who epitomized the Hollywood dream. It begins on the dusty streets of Calcutta when Bikram was five years old. I was five years old and play little ball. Bikram would tell people that he was out playing in a field and kicked a ball. And it landed at the feet of a man who happened to be a yoga guru by the name of Bishnu Charan Ghosh. From that day, my yoga started with Bishnu Charan Ghosh, the greatest health culturist of 20th century. Vishnu Ghosh, besides being a legend in his own right, was the younger brother of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogananda was the first superstar guru of the 20th century who wrote the best-selling and groundbreaking book, Autobiography of a Yogi, a book read by pretty much anyone with any interest in yoga or Eastern religion in the 70s. So by hooking up with Ghosh, Bikram already had a calling card for instant authenticity. He was connected to yoga royalty. As Bikram's story goes, he quickly became Ghosh's star student and a total yoga prodigy. I was a All India national champion three times, 11, 12, 13, unbeaten. He became a three-time national yoga champion. Fourth year, when I went to compete, the whole country complained that if Bikram compete, nobody ever win. So they make law. You cannot compete more than once. He was forced out of the competition circuit for being too good. Then I cannot compete. What are you going to do? I, w- I want name. I want fame. I want to trouble the world. So he took up weightlifting. 1959. In 1960, I became India's number one weightlifter. Just like that, India's number one weightlifter. He says he broke the world record and was all set to compete in the 64 Olympics. So 110%, I'm going to get gold medal. But then there was an accident. Seven years before, in training camp, my catcher, you know, who catch the barbell, they dropped the 465 pound on my left leg. The weight fell on his knee and destroyed it. My left leg was crashed 100,000 pieces. Dust. Doctors told him he'd never walk again. Everybody said, I have to cut my leg off. Bikram says he dismissed the doctors who wanted to cut off his leg. Instead, he turned back to his guru, Vishnu Ghosh, who fixed his knee in just six months with yoga. So I told my guru, rest of my life, I go around the world and I have to fix bad knees and bad legs. Bikram says he promised his guru he would make it his life's work to spread yoga around the world, to become a guru himself. And that, according to Bikram, is the moment when he began to reinvent yoga. I completely created another kind of yoga system. This moment of invention is the part of the story that made him a legend to his followers. 
His master taught one student at a time, but Bikram broke away from that. I started thinking, it's what a waste of time. In one day I teach five people. How can I teach 5,000 people? And then he took it one step further. He decided to standardize his class, to teach the same set series of yoga postures to everyone. I don't know your name. I don't know which kind of problem you have. I don't know anything. I don't need to know. You come to my class, go through 26 posture sequence, two breathing exercise. I will go through bone to the skin, hair to the toes, top to bottom, inside out, clockwise, anti-clockwise, 360 degree angle, each and every internal organs I will activate. Re-energize, revitalize, reorganize. It was a one-size-fits-all approach, and it was revolutionary. In the yoga lineage Bikram flows from, no one had ever thought to spread yoga that way. First, he took it around India and then to Japan. Bikram was just 26 years old when he arrived in Tokyo in 1970. Tokyo is where he says he invented hot yoga. If you take a piece of steel to a blacksmith and tell him, hey, can you make it a knife? What is the first thing he's going to do? Put in the fire. Japan is a much cooler climate, so he brought heaters into the yoga room to recreate the conditions of Calcutta and make it easier for his Japanese students to stretch. And it worked. But Bikram didn't want to stay put in Japan. After all, he'd promised he was going to spread this yoga around the world, including America. So he headed to Hawaii in 1971, where one more Bikram innovation emerged getting close to famous people. My first student in America is Elvis Presley. My second student is President Nixon, 4th of July, 1972. As the story goes, Bikram was called on to treat Richard Nixon, who was in Hawaii at the time. He has phlebitis thrombosis. He came from operation. They want to amput his leg. As a president, four days, I give him seven Hydropathic treatment, Vikram yoga in a bathtub. Vikram says he cured President Richard Nixon of his phlebitis, which saved Nixon from getting his leg amputated. And according to Vikram, earned him Nixon's eternal gratitude and a green card. I never even applied for a green card. The green card was gift from Nixon. That's the story Vikram was telling about himself when he arrived in California. He opened his first, very small studio in the North Beach neighborhood of San Francisco. But San Francisco wasn't enough for him. For the type of hype and fame he wanted, he needed to make it in L.A. So in 1973, he opened the Yoga College of India in Beverly Hills. Los Angeles really in, in the 70s was very much the Wild West. David Kukoff was born and raised in L.A. and wrote the book, Los Angeles in the 1970s. What you have in Los Angeles back then uh, is this sense of people wanting to explore new spiritual, physical, and mental turf. This was the me decade, a collective moment of Americans turning their focus on themselves, both on the inside and the outside. And no other place was more me-centric than L.A., where fitness became an everyday obsession. Anybody with a fresh idea who said they could answer the questions that were troubling you could attract a following. 
with the right the right the right delivery system, the right charisma, you know, and the right message. LA was perfect for Bikram. Sit down again. You're so lucky that you met someone like me. You know what I mean? Who pick on you all the time to make you healthy, happy, and peaceful. And Bikram was perfect for LA. This is what's happening in Beverly Hills today. It's quite a topic of conversation. There's a yoga college of India and the man who runs it. Uh, we're going to bring him out here now, Yogi Bikram. For all the glamour that came to be associated with Bikram yoga, the actual experience of a Bikram class was anything but. The studio itself was, uh, you would walk in and the floor was totally carpeted. One whole end of it was mirrored. And I would say the room was perhaps 25 by 40, not much bigger than that. Probably the first thing you'd notice was how hot it was. The room was very warm. It was always that way. His studio probably was heated to 80 degrees, something like that. And for those masochists who wanted to, down at the end of the room, there were a whole bunch of electric heaters. And they could stand in front of those electric heaters and, and, and do their, their yoga. Another thing you probably notice, the smell. They didn't even invent sticky mats until late 1980s. There was no such thing as a yoga mat. We did yoga on the carpet. So it was pretty, pretty raunchy in that room. But there at the front of the room, in front of a wall of mirrors like in a dance studio, would be the reason you and everyone else had come here, Bikram Chowdhury. Justine Bateman would go on to star in Family Ties, but in 1976, she was just a kid, and her father would take her and her brother Jason to Bikram's classes. And Bikram would, he'd sit on his little cushion, you know, there at the mirror, and there was me and my brother, and there were a few other kids that were in there too. And uh, you would get picked to come give him a little shoulder massage while everybody was, you know, getting settled in. So that always felt like a, I don't know, a nice thing to get, like, picked. Like, oh, it's your turn to go up and give his shoulders a little work. Justine would finish her massage and go back to her place on the carpet next to someone like the music producer Quincy Jones or the actor Raquel Welch. There were other actors in there, too, like Keir Delire. The star of 2001, Space Odyssey. Keir Delire, am I saying the name right? I am Keir Delay. I was in my 40s, and I was in better shape than I was at, at the age of 22 from doing yoga. It was extraordinary. People came to Bikram for lots of reasons. They came for his devotion to his students. I just remember him being really attentive. To each person. Your legs is too far out, Joe. Close more. You too. He seemed to really care about people reaching their sort of yoga goals, you know, in class. He was so completely dedicated. He wanted nothing more than to give, 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 and help more and more people understand what this yoga could do for them. They also came for his intensity. Lower spine, back supposed to hurt like a hell. Just try to kill yourself. I remember Carol Lindley is an, an actress from the 70s and 80s. She used to say, you know, we're used to being catered to in Beverly Hills. In Bic- I mean, we come to Bikram to get our asses kicked. Use your extreme strength and the old flexibility. Try to go beyond than your limit of the flexibility and the strength. 
Hey chicken, you do the same thing. Turn your toes more. Toes, the ankle. I just cannot scream anymore. Give me a break. I'm tired today. Bikram students also came for a style of yoga that was the complete opposite of the kinds of yoga being taught in America back then. Hello, class. Namaste. That yoga was soothing. I cross your ankles, place the hands behind you. Don't hurt your knees now. When you stand up, use your hands for support and come up. It was a very gentle, relaxed type of easy stretching. First, let's do some warming up. Before. That you really weren't going to get much of a workout from. Bikram comes along, and he has a lot more of a forceful approach. Bikram's yoga class is not spiritual, and it's definitely not gentle. It's tough physical work. One, two, three, four, five, six. For the first half of class, you're doing what is called the standing series, postures where you balance and stretch and contort on your feet, or one of your feet. That's right, Tony. I was just going to tell you, and you pushed the knee back right away. Excellent. Now head down and leg up, Tony. By the time it's over, you're exhausted, dripping with sweat, and so grateful you get to lie down on the floor, which feels like it will be a relief. But you still have another 45 minutes of work left to do. And there, at the front of the room, urging you along, is Bikram in his tiny black Speedo. Your fat is going to be smaller, your life will be better. That's all. Bikram was harsh with his students, but that was part of his philosophy. You come to my class, you don't know yourself who you are. I hold the mirror in front of your face. You can see. He always told people the truth, and he used to say, he said, I put a mirror in front of your face, and I tell you the truth, and if you don't like it, it's not my problem. When you are 20 pounds overweight, I cannot tell you you are in good shape. I got to tell you, you have 20 pounds overweight on your face, and you have to lose it. And if you think I'm insulting you, it's your problem, and I don't care, because that's why you came to me, that's why you pay for it. I must tell you the truth. Finally, after 90 minutes of heat and verbal abuse and stories and jokes and intense physical suffering, a Bikram class would end, and you would be allowed to rest, lying down on the studio's carpeted floor. He was having terrible problems with his throat, with all the talking that he did. But even at the end, as we all laid there relaxing at the end of the class, he would sing us an Indian lullaby. And you just lay on your back in a complete relaxed fashion and he would sing to us in the most beautiful voice. He was an extraordinary teacher. I would say one of the two greatest teachers of any subject that I've had in my life. The first one being Sanford Meisner, or known as Sandy Meisner, who's a very, very well-known acting teacher, or was, and Bikram in his area was equally brilliant. There was something about his persona that just was so inspiring.
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The longer he stayed in this country, the more America made an impact on Bikram in all sorts of unyogi like ways. Bikram was very much into fast foods, he was very much into disco, dancing. Tony Sanchez was one of Bikram's first and best students, one of the first people he ever trained to teach his yoga, and one of Bikram's friends. He called me his best creation. Tony was along for the ride as Bikram Indian Yogi became Bikram Beverly Hills Guru to the Stars. Bikram's embrace of America went beyond fast food and disco dancing. I think he even had a Rolls Royce. He loved cars, too. He managed to buy the last limousine that uh, Howard Hughes had. The car had a toilet inside. Uh, he painted it, you know, I think there were like 20 coats of paint. It was so beautiful. The obsession with cars and wealth was a very American form of materialism. But it was more complicated than that. It had ties to India as well. I think most Indians love cars. The Maharajas, you know, they used to collect uh, Rolls Royces and they used to have uh, races on Rolls Royces. And I think that deep inside, you know, he feels as if he's one of them. There was always a part of Bikram that seemed to be looking over his shoulder towards India, trying to prove himself to the people he'd left behind back home. When he had first arrived in the United States, Bikram had been cautious about claiming too much credit for the yoga he was teaching. But as his fame grew, he became bolder. You wrote a book, mm -hmm. um, Bikram's Beginning Yoga Class. Bikram's Beginning Yoga Class by Bikram Choudhury with Bonnie Jones Reynolds, photographs by Guy Webster. The book was a way for Bikram to satisfy one of his core ambitions, to spread his yoga far and wide farther than he ever could by just teaching classes at his studio in Beverly Hills. So he reached out to his loyal student, Bonnie Jones Reynolds. He said, I want you to write my book. He said, I know you can do it. I know, I know that you will be able to do the book that I need to be done. Bikram couldn't even really read or write in English anyway. At that point, I had just had a uh, bestseller, uh, The Truth About Unicorns. So, he, I mean, he knew that I was able to write. And he was right. Bonnie says she developed the entire concept. Each one of the 26 poses is like a small chapter. And then at the end of each chapter, uh, there's a little section on the benefits, what this will do for you. It's Bikram's entire class in a book. And Keir and Justine and all of Bikram's famous students are in there, 
photographed doing Bikram's poses, though not Shirley MacLaine. You know, an interesting thing about the cover, Shirley was supposed to do the, the, she had promised him that she would do the cover. And she backed out. And she backed out because when she read the book as I had written it, she was very upset. She said, this is much too lighthearted and fun. She said, yoga is a very serious business, and I don't approve of, of all this fun that you're putting in. <laughs> when he published his book in 1978, it was the first time Bikram made his yoga series absolutely his own, with his name on it, Bikram's Beginning Yoga Class. And his studio, the Yoga College of India, officially became... Bikram's Yoga College of India. And so did you guys split profit from the book evenly? Um, I get 1% of Bikram's take. Still, for all his success in America, Bikram never seemed to lose his hunger to be taken seriously back in India as well. He wanted his Tonight Show appearances and his fancy cars, but he also wanted authenticity. And by 1984, that urge was getting stronger. Bikram was turning 40, and he needed to secure what he had created. I don't have any time for get fall in love and get married. It was what you did also, right? The best way to have a legacy was to have a family. One good wife is much better than 10 bad girlfriends. <laughs> in Japan, in India, they have only one good wife. And here you have 10 girlfriends, but all of them bitch. <laughs> Bikram did have an American girlfriend. Her name was Rika, and she lived with him. But when he wanted to start a family, he went back to India. Tony Sanchez remembers that trip. Bikram went to India and was introduced to Rajasri. Bikram took a trip to Calcutta, and while he was there, he saw a 19-year-old yoga champion competing. Bikram told his friend, who happened to be her guru, that he wanted to marry this young woman, Rajashri Chakrabarti. Make it happen. But no one told Bikram's girlfriend. They arranged the marriage without telling Rika that this event was taking place. After they married, Bikram brought Rajashri back to Los Angeles and back to his apartment. He came back and Rika had to move out of his apartment Rika left, and Rajashri stayed. The new marriage made sense. For Rajashri, a young and gifted yogi from Calcutta, Bikram and his life in America offered nothing but promise. And Bikram secured himself an ironclad claim to authenticity. With the yoga champion Rajashri at his side, he could create a family and a yoga lineage that no one could compete with. Now, sure. your wife is going to... Uh, she's coming and joining us to perform she's something amazing. just... She is the champion... Rajashri. champion yoga Five of, of India. It wasn't long before Rajashri got a taste of this new life she had signed up for. Bikram brought her along to an appearance on the Merv Griffin Show. One of the best and she's how old? 20. 20. <sighs> 20. And you've been married, what, a year? A uh, year and a quarter. Okay. Joining Bikram now is his wife, Raja Shri, who has outdone her husband, as you've heard, five times, and is National Yoga Champion of India. Here she is. My, my. Raja Shri, who looks like a child, comes out in a tasteful white leotard. 
Merv Griffin proceeds to make a bunch of rapid-fire insensitive comments, confusing Indians with Saudi Arabians. But Bikram doesn't get angry with Merv. He corrects him, and then he joins in on the stereotype game. <laughs> and are Indian, in, Indians, are they into exercise? Man, we do like we play soccer in the sidewalk. We grew up like this all my life. You know, I do some exercise, but not like every woman go to the dance class or normal gymnastics. We don't have all these things. Because we had, the women are too busy to taking care of their husband and children and family, cooking the home and cleaning the house. <laughs> They don't want to hear that. I no, hate to warn you here. That. While Bikram no. is talking about the gender roles in India, the cameras also trained on Rajashree, who is sitting right next to him. As Bikram is saying this, Rajashree stops and inhales deeply. There is a look of sheer exasperation that crosses her face. It lasts only a moment before she replaces it with a laugh and a smile. But in this moment when her guard is down, it feels like you're watching her realize what she has signed up for. Not just as the queen to this yoga king, but life in the Hollywood elite. Raja Shree assumes her place in this whole thing right before our eyes. She's 20 when she walks on that stage. And yes, in pretty much every culture, women may have to deal with a lot of shit from their husbands. But they do so in private. This is so public. And this will become Rajeshree's dilemma, and it will become the dilemma of anyone who gets close to Bikram. This place of yoga royalty comes with a very high price. And Rajeshree will find herself smiling and laughing and not saying anything through so much worse. Did he talk through the whole honeymoon? Because <laughs> 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 I have been asked the same question before also. <laughs> Being a part of Bikram's burgeoning yoga empire came at a cost. You had to play his game his way. And while Rajashree seemed to understand that, not everyone close to Bikram did. For years, Tony Sanchez was Bikram's star student. You know who, who I was imagining doing in front of my eyes? Tony. Which Tony? No? My Tony. San Francisco Tony. Oh. I closed my eyes and I warmed in. Tony is moving oh. according to my dialogue. That's how it was perfect time. Start again. Second. Tony really was the apple of Bikram's eye. It was Tony who Bikram trusted to run his studio in San Francisco. But it was also Tony who dared to stand up for himself. I did uh, approach him and ask him if he could sell me his studio uh, because uh, he was draining too much of the resources to pay for his lifestyle in Los Angeles. Bikram was using the profits from San Francisco to fund his increasingly lavish lifestyle. And Tony wanted to get paid. He thought he deserved more from his friend and guru. I did ask, and he took offense. So he said almost like, how dare you ask me? You're breaking my heart. On Tony's birthday, Bikram drove up to San Francisco in his Rolls Royce with his accountant and his new wife, Rajashree. I got fired on my birthday, um, and so I had to take whatever I belonged to me and left the studio. Bikram followed Tony out of the studio, put his hand on his shoulder, and said, No hard feelings. If you need anything, anything at all, please call me. And then I left, and I never called him back. And like that, Bikram cast out one of his first and most loyal students, 
He followed that up by taking another of his longtime students to court. Raquel, total beauty, take one, sound one. Raquel Welch, the actress in Bombshell, had been a Bikram student since his earliest days in Beverly Hills. They were legitimately friends at one point, and he bragged about her constantly. But in 1984, she put out Raquel Welch's Total Fitness. Hi. Hi, Raquel. It's flagrantly and unabashedly Bikram's yoga, the yoga Bikram had used to get famous in America. Place your feet six inches apart, arms straight out in front of you, parallel to the floor. Keep your feet six inches apart, exactly straight position, arms in front of you, parallel with the floor, locked elbows, fingers together. It was exactly the 26 poses. To Bikram, the video was a betrayal, but it was also an opportunity. He sued her for copyright infringement, and that's how he built his house in Beverly Hills from that lawsuit. We don't know how much money Bikram got from Raquel Welch. The settlement was private, and the court records have actually been destroyed. But we do know that it was a lot. That settlement was what allowed Bikram to finally solidify his place in his adopted country. And he did it in the most American of ways, with a lawsuit. Over the next decade... Bikram and Rajashree started a family in the house that Raquel Welch built. And they continued the process of expanding the Bikram yoga empire around the country. According to yoga historian Stephanie Simon, their timing couldn't have been any better. I think in the 90s, people started craving something other than the fitness options were, that were out there. I mean, there was the gym culture, there was jogging, there was aerobics had kind of waned. There was really nothing to fill the void. In walks yoga. Six million Americans were practicing yoga in 1994. A decade later, that number had more than tripled. You mentioned yoga, that you've given up the hard workouts. Is it yeah. true? Madonna threw away her weights and she proclaimed that all she does is yoga. Gave up all your exercise no equipment? More, no more pumping iron. No? No more Stairmaster. No? No more treadmill. No? Yeah! And all of a sudden, it just was a tipping point and it went nuts. Bikram had spent much of the 70s and 80s building his empire in Los Angeles. His story could have ended there, and it would have been an impressive tale of self-creation, from the streets of Calcutta to becoming a guru to the stars. But a giant yoga wave was cresting, about to sweep across the country. There would be so much opportunity for anyone who could offer themselves up as yoga royalty. So much opportunity for someone like Bikram Chowdhury. I never lie, never cheat, I never hurt another spirit. I'm the most spiritual man you ever met in your life. Maybe one of these days, if you practice Bikram Yoga, you will understand that. 